0: Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Wow, Andy, thanks for coming on. I see that you recently launched a new book and I am excited to have you on to talk about it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christoph. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I think myself, both on this podcast as well as everywhere else, is focused on trying to help leaders develop and Having great reference materials, like your book, ordered it already. It's in the mail, just waiting for it. So hopefully to... it's sitting on your doorstep right now. And when we're done, you can run out and grab it. I hope Amazon delivers that quickly. That would be just ingenious. But until I get to read it, maybe I could ask you a couple of questions about Absolutely. how it can help both current and future leaders in developing their careers. Absolutely. So I wrote this book
1: as an antidote to a lot of the leadership training and leadership books I've seen out there and stop me if you've heard this before. But there there are so many of these trainings and books that there's like a cult. They say, here's like the one true way to be a leader. And they're often like an autobiography or a biography of someone or a summary of some niche research done by an academic. And it says, this is the one thing you need to do. And if you just do this over and over again, you'll be amazing. And the reality is like, what will work for me will not work for you. Will probably not work for somebody who doesn't look at all like us in some certain organizations. And like, this doesn't really help people either. That's something you're already doing, in which case you get validation. Oh yes, great. I should keep doing something I'm already good at, or you've tried it. It doesn't work. So. 1% leadership is written on the philosophy that there is no one true leadership style. There is just getting a little bit better every single day. I think of leadership like a rope, right? And a rope is braided together. And the more strands you have and the stronger each individual strand is, the stronger your rope becomes. And so if you can make every strand in your rope 1% better or you know, every link in your chain, if you wanna think of it that way, 1% better, like you get stronger and better and you don't have to make these huge changes to see anything. Now, for some people, some of these practices that I go through, and there's 54 of them, will be completely novel and that will be a big change for them to try that practice. But other ones, they're gonna be like, oh, I, I do that already, but now let me do that with intentionality. So that's the idea for how it will help people is it gives them a framework to work within, to improve, but they get to guide themselves or work with a coach who can use these lessons and strategies and say, oh, like you're having a problem with hearing feedback. So let's read the chapter about hear unbelievable things to find your blind spots. And that chapter might resonate with you to let you realize that when people are telling you things that you don't think are true, what they're telling you isn't quite
0: true, but it's a signal about a blind spot that you need to deal with. I love that approach. Yeah, you're right. As a coach, we definitely see that there's no one true way to anything, yep. and that most books have been written more from a mentorship approach, where you're sharing their experiences, but that doesn't always relate to everyone. So, I love the idea of the 54 practices that you can try and choose your own adventure to that. And they're how, organized. How did you come up with that?
1: So the 54 was just, I started writing and that's where I ended up with. Although my wife has a joke about it, which is we had 55 and we were actually, were considering dropping it down to 52. So we could have fun with it being like one a week or whatever. And the publisher finally just said, don't force it. But then when we were doing the editing, we cut one and it became 54. And what's fascinating is there, 54 is actually the number of weeks for Jews when they're reading from the Torah. There are 54 weekly portions that some weeks, some years you get to all of them and some years you don't because we have a variable length year. So my wife often makes the joke that like, ah, just like when you're reading from the Torah, you take different lessons. That's what this is. Like you read, you can read like one a week. And here's the other thing I've done. If you've read a bunch of business books and I have some on my bookshelf behind me, you'll often find that it's the same message just repeated for 300 pages. And they never actually tell you what the message is. You have to figure out what they're trying to tell you. When I wrote 1% Leadership, the title of every chapter is the lesson. So when I said, you know, hear unbelievable things to find your blind spots, that's the title of the chapter. It's in the table of contents. It leads the chapter and then it closes the chapter. And at the end of the book, I have a summary of every chapter, which is, again, the title of the chapter and then two sentences. The idea is I want to make it easy for you to find the lessons and figure out which ones will work for you. And if it's a coach, I've started actually writing some coaching guides. And so I've been putting them on my sub stack. I know that you subscribe to it, so you see them. And the whole point of those guides is to say, hey, if you have this high-level problem, here's a set of chapters that might be
0: relevant so that you can use those to start. I love that because reading your s- always allows me to contextualize lessons that that you're sharing. And I've loved subscribing to that. So we'll definitely include that in the show notes. But for someone that is trying to grow and they may not have a coach, I I love the approach that you could do one a week or something like that. And like Atomic Habits, you you, you keep going and going until you get that habit on down pat and then move on to another one. Absolutely. If you're an Atomic Habits fan,
1: like this is a perfect sort of follow-up to focus on the habits for leadership. Now, let's assume you're listening and you don't have a coach. First of all, think about getting a coach. But you can approach this book without a coach. It's organized the lesson's scope. So the first 18 chapters are about personal leadership. Because when people talk about authentic leadership, what they really mean is I look at you and clearly you lead yourself. The things you tell me to do are things you've evaluated for yourself. So these are really individual lessons that are designed for one person. So it's things about like your wellness is your greatest asset. Like if you don't take care of your own health, It's hard for it to be believable when you tell your staff, oh, yeah, go take care of your health because they'll look at you and they'll be like, you've been running yourself into an early grave and the people who are doing that on the team are getting a promotion. So you don't actually believe that I should take care of my health if I want to be employed by the company. So these are lessons about you, your affect in the world. And so if you're just starting your career, start with these 18 practices because you can go through them. You get to read them and say, oh, I like that one. Let me jump to that. Or that one sounds weird. Let me go read it to see what I want to, if I want to focus on it. Then the next 21 chapters, I didn't evenly divide them, are about team leadership. And this is really what focuses, the leadership lessons are focused on how you interact with another person and the people who work with you. How do you manage a small organization? And when I say manage, I really do mean like it's a leadership. It doesn't have to be that you're the boss. Like you might be a senior individual contributor. You might be a junior one and just understanding how that team dynamic, you can lead from the side. The last set, which is 15 chapters is organizational leadership. You probably need to be in a more senior role for a lot of these to be relevant, but they're good for you to look at and listen because they're about how do you manage people at multiple steps removed? Like How do you make sure that when you tell everybody wellness is important and you're the boss of a large organization that your managers are actually telling that to their staff? Because what often happens is we say, oh, wellness is important. And then our staff says, we have deadlines. And so how do you build an organizational structure? And these lessons apply in a corporate environment. They apply in a community environment. Like if you're part of a nonprofit or just a group of friends, you can think about how you lead in those environments.
0: You said something and I picked up on it. You said, look and listen. I'm a big audio fan. Is this coming out in an audio release as well? It is actually coming out an audiobook
1: as well. You could, in fact, I think you can get it today. The, and the reader for it is me. So you'll get to hear oh. my lovely voice. Yeah, I recorded it back in early January. And then in March, I had to do what's known as pickups, which is they went through and they found the few things that they wanted us to retake. And it's fascinating because I got to sit there. I actually had a professional narrator in one ear. Who like, as I'm speaking would be like, just stop, go back. You screwed up a word. We'll just redo that that phrase. And it was actually really hard for me because I'm not used to people who will do micro editing between words. So I would always finish a sentence. Then I would get used to going back and he's don't bother. The moment you misspeak, we just want to go back. And the first day I was doing the edits, it was like he was calling like 90% of the edits. And then the second day I called 60% of them. Cause I, the moment I misspoke, I would just stop and say,
0: okay, I'm going to go back. Yes. And that's one of the things about doing a live podcast is I don't edit, I just go straight to the air.
1: Yeah. And it's a big trade-off. When you're doing a podcast, that's about getting timely information continuously out to people, then you can accept it's a trade-off of lower audio quality and yeah, my coughs come through, it gets out there, but it's a much lower cost to perform, to get in content in front of people. When you're doing an audio book where you get one shot at recording, and hopefully thousands and thousands of people will listen to it, it's worth that extra time. And My total time was less than 20
0: hours. That's not too bad. During the size of the book from reading yep. the details on it. Yeah, it's actually um, a pretty
1: short book. It's only about 45,000 words. Only.
0: So as you went through, how did how long did it take you to capture these lessons and... Just to give the reader a sense of perspective as to your experience. I've been learning these lessons my whole career.
1: So I started in leadership at the Disneyland back when I was still in high school. I worked there. I was a foreman in costume issue. Learned a bunch of lessons. Like Disney, and this one doesn't actually come out as an anecdote directly in the book, but you can see where it'll tie into values, is when you get your performance review at Disney, everybody has basically the same form. There were, at least at the time, there were variants of it that were more complex for more senior people. But the first thing you were rated on was safety. The second was Disney courtesy. And the third was job knowledge. And then there were a whole bunch of other things. But it was this very clear organizational leadership message about what mattered to Disneyland. Like, they don't care how well you can do your job if you are rude or unsafe, period. Like they have set their priorities. They would rather have a very safe, polite person who's mediocre at the job than the amazing person at the job who is putting people's lives at risk and like your guests hate because you're selling an experience that is safe and courteous. So that starts. And in fact, I have a spirit of Disneyland award on my wall because I embraced, like I I did costume issue. My job was give people clothing. It's either the start of their day and I'm the last face they see before they go in front of death. or it was the end of the day and I'm the first face they see after eight hours of dealing with guests you learn a lot about how much you can affect other people's emotional states when you're in that world after Disney I was a bartender again where I had to learn to I made a living based on just how I communicated then I finally went back to school I had a outage of school I was in, in college for a year got kicked out Came back, got my degree at MIT. I was in Air Force ROTC. You get a lot of leadership training. It's not all relevant or practical, but you do get a lot of it. Sometimes you learn things that are not what they meant to you. Uh, I spent three and a half years in the Air Force, so medically discharged, and then spent 21 years at Akamai, where I ended up as the chief security officer. I led a team directly of, I think, 94 people the day I left, over 40% of whom were women. Which is a staggering rate for the cybersecurity industry. And then from there, now i I work in venture capital and I work with a lot of startups, including Orca security. So I've been in a lot of places. I've learned a lot about security. I've learned a ton about leadership. Often not the lesson someone was trying to teach me.
0: They say most lessons are learned from mistakes. Absolutely. The best consultant or salesperson is the one that sells the mistakes.
1: It, it really is. And I'll say that's one of the chapters. I should have had the chapter list in front of me so I can remember exactly what numbers they are. I don't yet have them all memorized, but it's, it's in the first section. And it is that, you know, even when you don't succeed, you know, you can get a great story. And so much of my leadership comes out of those stories that, that at the first, I just embraced the story because I didn't know what the lesson really was. But over time, you learn what the lesson is. and You're like, oh, that's, that's what I take away from it. And then sometimes you're telling yourself the story even years later, and you're like, oh, that was a good lesson that I learned, but there's a better lesson if I paid more attention. And so remembering those stories for yourself about failure, and then at the organizational level, back to your sales point, another lesson about this is that failure is an opportunity to provide great customer service, right? And and it's my belief that you cannot be a great customer service organization if you don't fail that it's in the moments of failure that you can elevate your practice to greatness. Otherwise, you're good and you can be good. But the companies that you think about and the brands that have great customer service, you remember them because how they acted during a failure, even if it wasn't theirs. I think we saw that in the recent travel debacle at Southwest. Absolutely. How many other brands leaned in and provided great customer service because they said, we will
0: help you if you just got straight. Yep yeah yeah so mention something about remembering the stories and pulling the lesson out of that Do you have a lesson on that oh absolutely so the the lesson does start with you you
1: have to it's really it's just to remember the stories because so i don't want to try to build this really complicated lesson right the goal isn't to say oh You should do this and then this. It's really, here's this one thing that you can go do. So really, so that lesson is, it's actually chapter five. I just pulled up the chapter list. Even (laughs) if you don't succeed, a story about failure can be a reward. But now you tie that with other lessons that you can really go for, which is, if I move back to chapter 14, it's retain the confidence of the new learner and temper it with the caution of the old hand. Right? And here I'm talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect, which by the way, not actually real. We could do a whole podcast on how that's actually bad, non reproducible research. And I can, if you want, I'll dive in on that. But the key when people talk about it, why it resonates with us is sometimes you feel like an imposter. And sometimes you feel like, and you don't even realize it, but you're so overconfident. And usually you don't see, it. everybody else sees when you're overconfident. You see when you're the imposter. And the reality is you want to navigate right in between those two lines. Like you should, do things that you're not qualified to do that you don't believe you're qualified to do that someone might look at you and say oh you have overconfidence bias like you think you can do this thing and while you're doing it you should be there with that little bit of anxiety should not be crippling that says i'm an impostor here so any failure i need to learn from quickly so i will do things outside of my comfort zone and i will learn quickly from them so that they become part of my comfort zone because i can't afford to repeatedly fail when I'm stretching myself, right? Yes. So you combine those chapters together and there's your lesson, which is, oh, tell yourself the story of failure. Now apply this concept of how am I going to learn to it? And so you can put these lessons together in any way that would make sense for you. I
0: love that. Totally choose your own adventure. Absolutely. Um, Cause these are micro atomic lessons. And so you mentioned in your sub stack, how you also combine stories for that? What made you want to create so many different ways to reach out to your audience my goal here
1: is transformative and it's a really big goal like talk about having imposter syndrome i want to completely transform how leadership training in this country actually on this planet functions i think we do it all wrong we wait until people are senior executives or managers to give them leadership training When we make people even managers, what most companies give them is manager training. We teach you how to interact with HR. How many companies don't teach you how to develop mediocre employees? And by mediocre, I don't mean that as an insult, the middle of your distribution. You have 10 employees, probably one of them is amazing. One of them is awful and eight are in the middle. How many companies teach you how to grow and develop those eight people? Almost none yet. That's 80% of your workforce. Why would you not be focused on that 80%? Instead, what we do is we say, okay, that one that is awful, here is how you manage them out of the organization. Again, we don't say here's how you improve them or how you get work out of them. Here's how to get them out of the organization. And it's a wicked expensive process because we're afraid of being sued. So everything you're going to do there is about liability protection. And then like you have this amazing person. And everything is about how do we keep them from quitting? So how do we keep throwing things at them to satisfy them? But again, we force them to develop themselves. And so what I want to do is I want to basically say, here is a set of practices. It's not the only set. If you think these 54 things are the only 54, I'm sorry, I'm not that good. But these are (laughs) a great set of 54. But if you have somebody in your family who is graduating from high school this year or from college... This is a great graduation present because here's things they can start using today that will help them grow. And it could be they're in chapter nine, which is one of my favorites, which is regret is an act of forgiveness to your past self. Like oftentimes when people think about mistakes they made in the past, they have one of two narratives in their head. One is, oh my God, I wish I could take that back. It was so bad. And they get stuck in this defeating loop about what a bad person they are. Or they say, I'm okay with how my life has turned out. Therefore, I will not regret those, that bad thing I did. And neither of those is healthy, right? The leadership moment here is to say, I do regret what I did then. And the me now would be different. How have I grown? And let's keep growing. And it's this like really simple thing, but you need to do that. So that the people around you who maybe you harmed in the past want to keep interacting with you because they see you've grown. You don't always have to make reparations, although I do talk about the value of an uncompelled apology, but you really have to be continuously developing from day one. And that's what I want. I want people to develop from day one with practical advice that they can choose from and they know what's hazardous. The longest chapter in my whole book is the introduction. Because in the introduction, (laughs) like I include a cautionary tale. Imagine learning how to swim, right? Hopefully you know how to swim. You might remember how you learned how to swim, but you do it in the shallow end of a pool with somebody who is supporting and holding you, right? And if we say, oh, look, here's, even when there's advanced ways, things you want to learn to swim about, better strokes to be more efficient because you're going to go do a race, you often practice and learn those in very safe environments. We do not throw people into the Orinoco to get eaten by piranhas while they're learning to swim. But some of the corporate environments are like that. So yeah, you have throw you in the deep end, they throw you in the deep end. But if you took some of these chapters and said, oh, like I talk about the uncompelled apology, there are organizations in which if you apologize, like you're doomed, like you like, oh my God, you're so weak. Nothing will happen here. There's some bad leadership there. It needs to be fixed. But I want to start with a cautionary note that tells people as you notice these lessons, think about the environment. And if you're the leader making space for people, part of your job is
0: to clean up the environment so that there's a safe place for people to learn. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Like you said, all too often, there isn't a safe environment for people to fail. And especially in, in technology and cybersecurity, we need to have that fraud way dev environment where yep. levels of failure are almost expected in order to to advance. And I I think when it comes to leadership, they don't do that. It's you're a supervisor now, or you're a manager now, and you're expected to know it all.
1: Yes. And in fact, it's funny because I actually have two different chapters focused on that very specific one. So one is about the team management It's one of my favorite chapters, which is an apology budget allows your team to take risks, right? If you have people that you're asking them to try something new, they should recognize that you have a budget for advising on their behalf to your peers. Like if you work for me and I ask you to do work and you fail at it, I'm gonna apologize. I'm not gonna throw you under the bus. Now I'm gonna to go to my peer and I'm gonna say, look, this was a development opportunity for Christoph. I should have provided more support. I should have noticed this wasn't working. I should have corrected it so you weren't impacted. It's a leadership failure and here's what I'm gonna do be better about that. I'm going to make sure both for Christoph's sake that he has better. support. I'm going to give him specific ways that he can help repair this relationship. But mostly this is on me, and that's okay. But you now, if you've seen me do this with your your peers, you're like, great, it's safe to take risks here. Yep. And Andy is learning that sometimes he over delegates, right? And sometimes he needs to delegate more, and he's going to learn that. And then there's a second one, which is actually at the organizational level, which is really One of the last chapters, chapter 52, which is really a commentary on product management in many companies, but it applies everywhere, which is if you aren't regularly failing at future bets, you aren't taking enough risk. So if you never have to apologize for the failures of your subordinates, you are not taking enough risk in developing and training them and giving them opportunities. Like they need to fail because that failure tells you that you're taking enough risk with them that they can grow. If you only let them do very safe things, they will never learn
0: to do the things that aren't already safe. And that goes for business too, because a risk comes both with positive and negative rewards. Positive rewards are profit and cash flow, yep. rewards are you have to close down a product, you lose customers based on those decisions. I think all too often people look at risk only as a negative yes. and don't look at What's the positive that could be gained from that?
1: It's a risk reward trade-off for everything. And we, I think we sometimes separate risk and reward rather than realizing it's just this balance of what you're doing. And your goal is to get the rewards. Well, in leadership, the reward is when the people that you developed surpass you. So I'm looking at all the people who used to work for me and all of the positions they've moved into and the leadership roles they have. And some of them are still developing, actually all of them are still developing. But some of them are very senior in the industry. Some are very junior in the industry. And I'm watching them. And that's my reward. And I want that reward for you, for your listeners. Like, I want it to be that everybody who buys the book or gets it gifted by a friend or whomever, like, they get better. And even if I personally see it, I'll know. That's the reward that I want. My, my risk was I, three
0: years of my life writing the book. And as an author myself, I can say that's the best reward that we could have from seeing impact, ripple across those that have read the book. And Andy, thank you so much for coming on. Before we go, what's the best way for readers to get the book if they haven't ordered it already and keep track of you? So best way to get the
1: book is find your favorite bookstore and buy it from there. Obviously, all of the online bookstores have it. My hope is that your local independent bookstore has it. You can get it anywhere. As an author, I try not to tell you exactly which store to buy it from. My royalties are the same wherever you get it from. So really buy it from wherever you're going to want to get it. Keeping track of me. So one way is obviously my Substack newsletter, which you're having the show notes, but it is Duha, D-U-H-A-1-O-N-E. Dot substack.com. You can find me there. You can find me on any social media platform. Pretty much. I'm some variant of CSO and on many of those easy to find there. If you manage to listen to this podcast, the week that it's dropping in then next week, I will be at RSA and I will be doing signings of the book in a couple of different places. So if you want to buy it at RSA, at the RSA bookstore, I'll be doing a signing there on Monday at noon. I will also be doing a signing at the Orca Security booth uh, on Monday night during the welcome reception. But there will only be a limited number of copies that we'll be giving away there. We will be giving away copies in exchange for your contact information. But like I recommend buying a copy of you. But if you have bought a copy of the book and you bring it to me, I will sign it there happily. I will also sign it like anywhere you find me. I think we'll have copies at the Wild Ventures party on Wednesday night. I think those are all the places that I know you can find me and the bomb. Um, but stalk me on Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever. If you want to buy a bunch of copies for your organization, especially once you buy it, you can read it yourself. Come talk to me. I'll talk about what it might take to come in and do a leadership talk or a workshop with your
0: organization. Absolutely love it. And hopefully uh, Orky. Who's there in the background will be able to travel to all those events as well. Yeah, he'll definitely be at some of them. Perfect. Thank you so much, Andy, for joining us on Breaking into Cybersecurity Leadership. Thanks for having me, Chris